Warning, today's episode of the Nerd Byword features hot takes. Please proceed with caution and on appropriate personal protective equipment. Greetings, nerds, and welcome into the Satellite of Love. Just kidding. Please don't sue us, Gizmoplex. We love you. On today's episode of the Nerd Byword, Dave and I will each be presenting three of our hottest takes in hopes of keeping you warm this winter. Wait, it's actually far too warm already. Yikes. Uh, nevertheless, it is now time to get all caught up on the geeky gossip with... Dave, the rampant speculators are at it again, I hear. Well, look, I, I cannot get into nerd news without first mentioning that, A, you just talked about the satellite of love and you encouraged me to wear personal protective equipment. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure what this episode is going to be all about, but I, f- but I feel dirty already and we've only been recording for 60 seconds. So, yeah, so, you know, No Way Home has come and gone and now uh, all the online speculation is once again turning its attention to the next movie in the MCU, which is, of course, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, the rumors are flying pretty uh, high on social media, with several people who are now considered credible leakers because they guessed that uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield will be in No Way Home, now uh, spreading rumors that uh, Mr. Fantastic as well as other Illuminati characters may appear in the movie. And for those of you not in the know, the Illuminati is, of course, a secret group of superheroes, which uh, Doctor Strange was a part of in the comics. Another character to be rumored to appear is X-Men's Charles Xavier. Um, Now, since this is a multiverse movie, uh, those possibilities exist. And in fact... um, Some speculate that these will be previous versions of those characters, not newly uh, cast MCU versions. So we're talking, of course, about, you know, Fox's Professor X or Mr. Fantastic. Which Professor X? Uh, Depends on who you're asking on social media these days. Now, unless these characters have been cast for the MCU, I kind of worry about these appearances a little bit. Um... I don't necessarily think that sort of a, a, a reprise of previous versions in this particular case is a good idea. It worked in no way home to me because there was an MCU Spider-Man uh, that had been established um, that the other two Spider-Men could basically bounce off of. And there was a contrast between those. But neither Professor X nor Mr. Fantastic have an MCU iteration yet. Um, as far as we know, they haven't even cast anybody yet. So... This, this seems just weird. I also really think, although there were some good things about it, that the MCU can't distance itself far enough from Fox's X-Men movies. Like, like you, you need to like be on a whole different continent from those movies. There is a real, there's a real stank hanging over those movies at this point. Um, so we, we just need to get away from that. And even though it would be like fun to see, you know, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart back in, in the role, for example, I think the, the drawbacks outweigh the benefits of that kind of guest appearance. So, you know, although the multiverse offers a lot of fun possibilities in this movie, I don't think we need 
constant reminders of Fox's failed franchises, Chris. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I. <clears throat> it's funny. I think back to um, when we were talking about Age of Apocalypse and I was making a nerd commendation for it. And, and you said, well, this wouldn't really land with me until I have like a baseline understanding of the characters in the proper universe. Yeah, yeah. So if if we're going like alt-universe and this is supposed to mean something, you, you, you nailed it exactly. We understand Peter Parker. There's meaning to that in this MCU universe. Seeing Charles Xavier... Or seeing Reed Richards means absolutely nothing in this universe. I mean, you know, longtime comic book fans, uh, you know, and, and film goers will understand it. But like, based on this frame of reference, it won't land the same way. It won't have anything. Um, and and you, you nailed it as well. Like, the only, and, and this is as a, a mutant fan, super fan the only X-Men film that I can go back to and revisit is X2, the only one. First Class was well done. There are parts of it I like, but, I mean, they killed uh, a black character off whose power is literally to adapt to survive, and they immediately killed him, like, not 10 minutes later. So I can't rewatch that film because that is just inexcusable. And then, you know, anything else from those movies is just hogwash. It's all garbage. Um, Days of Future Past is okay. But again, only one that I even like remotely is X2. Um, so, th and, and that's why I say for just for me personally, take your time with the X-Men in the MCU. I'm not in any kind of hurry. Uh, take your time and wash all of that stank off before you even think about bringing it into the MCU. But I, I, I'm also, I'm just, I'm over all of this petulant spoiled child thing that we have with YouTubers and self-branded experts when it comes to rumors and speculation. I'm I, like the guy that leaked all of the no way home stuff. Like he's trash. Like I'm so over this. Can we just wait and be patient and watch the movie and just be surprised? Like as much as I enjoyed seeing the other Peter Parker's, it didn't land like it should have because we already knew like this is like your parents coming and showing you what they bought you for Christmas and then wrapping it in the box. And you have to act surprised on Christmas morning. Like, what's the point? Yeah, you're not wrong there. I think we do have a, a big problem with leaks these days, uh, particularly coming out of the MCU. You know, whatever happened with like, you know. Uh, actors joking that, you know, Kevin Feige had, like, snipers standing by to take them out as soon as they opened their mouths about these movies. I mean, I mean, No Way Home was one of the absolute leakiest movies ever. You had actors just popping up on talk shows like, yeah, I'm in it, so... You know, especially the returning yeah. villains. I know that uh, they were part of Marvel movies before the MCU was a thing, and things weren't as tight-lipped, but somebody should have explained that to them, maybe? Like... That that was one of the huge problems with the movie. As much as I enjoyed No Way Home, I knew way too much about it already. Yep. And so I don't want I don't want the same thing to happen to to Doctor Strange in a Multiverse of Madness. Because in fairness, I, and I'm going to be honest here, man, out of all the movies coming out next year, this is at the top of my list as a movie that I'm most genuinely excited about because they they gave me the ultimate pitch. Right, it's going to be a horror movie in essence, set in the MCU, directed by Sam Raimi, one of the seminal influences on modern horror movies, thanks to his Evil Dead series. So, 
I'm I'm there for this. I want to see Sam Raimi direct a superhero movie again. I want Sam Raimi to bring, you know, something a little horrifying to the table. I'm ready for this movie. Stop spoiling it for me, people. Back off of my Sam Raimi horror superhero movie. Yeah, and and not to mention it also injected the for me the second for a lot of people's it's their favorite what if episode. My personal favorite was T'Challa Star-Lord and it just makes me miss Chadwick Boseman that much more. But the second best episode is the dark Dr. Strange and just completely leaning into the popularity of that character and making it. And this was probably already decided before what if premiere, but they just, they knew what they had and leaning into that and just watching Benedict Cumberbatch, just like go full thespian and, and just be able to play dueling roles like that is going to be fascinating to watch. Oh, I totally agree. I'm I'm all here for this movie, Chris. All right, Chris, what is on your nerd news desk this week? So already easily one of the most anticipated MCU properties of 2022, She-Hulk may feature an appearance by another really good lawyer. How did we not talk about this in No Way Home? Like, this was easily one of the best parts of the movie. As short After- as it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Right. After a perfect cameo in last month's Spider-Man No Way Home, Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock Daredevil is rumored to be appearing alongside Tatiana Maslany's 6-7 green frame. Uh, those rumors may be substantiated upon re-examining past comments from MCU head honcho Kevin Feige back in December of 2020, which feels like yesterday, but I, it's actually a, you know, a long time ago. At Disney Investor Day, Feige said, quote, since Jennifer Walters is a lawyer who specializes specifically in superhero-oriented legal cases, you never know what Marvel characters are going to pop up from episode to episode. Now, the official synopsis for She-Hulk, which was revealed at Investor's Day of 2021, uh, stated that uh, Jennifer Walters' casework would, quote, welcome a host of Marvel characters, end quote. The moratorium of the Marvel Netflix characters, which includes Cox's Murdoch, Kristen Ritter's Jessica Jones, calm down, Dave, and Mike Coulter's Luke Cage, uh, there's another one, but that doesn't matter, has now passed, uh, giving Marvel Studios free reign for the use of these characters once more. See Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk and Hawkeye. While an inclusion of Matt Murdock in the She-Hulk series may be a bit on the nose, it's nevertheless fun to speculate the possibilities with such a beloved character in this larger connected universe. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you right now that uh, if he doesn't show up, I'll be disappointed. And that has nothing to do with the rumors. I think this is just such a no-brainer. They just brought David, uh, they just brought Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. And now... Uh, you, you need to put this sucker to use, right? He's here, and obviously there is not a Daredevil project announced, so having him guest in various MCU properties is natural. I fully anticipate that he will show up in She-Hulk. I fully anticipate he'll show up in Echo as well. I think that's a natural place for him to show up when, once that series pops up. So, you know, he, he needs to be in this one. Uh, and really, I think Jessica Jones should pop up in, in this series as well. As an investigator, there's a very uh, easy tie-in for her to pop up in this world. Um, and, and I think that the MCU powers that be, i.e. Kevin Feige, would be extremely uh, silly not to lean on some of the more popular elements of those Netflix series. They've already shown a willingness to do so uh, by bringing back uh, both, you know, Wilson Fisk and and, you know, 
our friend Daredevil. So I totally Luke Cage needs to pop up. Totally Jessica Jones needs to pop up moving forward. These are fantastic characters that have value. And the way they were portrayed in the Netflix uh, shows was really, really good. I mean, the less said about Iron Fist, the better at this point. But Good God. <laughs> but uh, there were plenty of good things that came out of those Netflix shows. And we should certainly, certainly not ignore them. Uh you know, if you're willing to bring back Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, I think bringing back Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones, bringing back Charlie Cox as Daredevil, these are no-brainers, Chris. Yeah, I will say the one thing, um, aside from Madam Gal, that I enjoyed that is redeemable about the Iron Fist series is Jessica Henwick as uh, Colleen Wing. And it, it has been reported that she turned down a role in Shang-Chi in hopes of reprising that character. So if we can bring her back, somebody said make her Iron Fist, and I'd be totally for that. I don't remember much about Iron Fist as a series, but isn't that where we ended yeah. The Iron Fist series is that she was Iron Fist. That was like I the end of the watched, show. I never watched the second season. So they could they could pretty much like just pick up right there and be like, hey, look, it's Iron Fist and just move on with life. But, you know, we'll wait and see approach is what we'll need here, Chris, I think. What I what I really want, and I don't know if Simone Missick has, you know, passed by the MCU and, and reprising the role. But if we need to recast, I want a Daughters of the Dragon series. Oh, that would be very, very much fun. I, I would totally get behind that. One of my one of my favorite things about the the Amazing Spider Man. I'm reading Amazing Spider Man just for Daughters of the Dragon content right now. Honestly, yeah, yeah, them showing up was quite something, wasn't it? I did not anticipate that at all. All right, that wraps up nerd news for this week. When we come back from this, our first break, we're going to hit you with the byword, big talk, and some hot hot takes. Bring some milk. <laughs> All right, we are back for this week's Byword. And we've each got three hot takes for you. Uh, as is customary, we go three alternating big ideas. So, Dave, I'm excited to dive into your first hot take because I more or less agree. Yeah, so um, I, I had the last uh, week or so kind of a tough time on a personal level, and I decided to dive into some comfort food uh, to make me feel better. And that comfort food was rereading the story of Ultimate uh, Peter Parker. So I read, you know, the the, the Marvel Team Up issues. I think it was called Marvel Ultimate Marvel Team Up. Um, I reread the entire run of uh, Ultimate Spider Man all the way up to uh, his death. And then I jumped ahead a little bit in um, Miles Morales' run to check out his the story of his return. And then I jumped into um, both Spider-Men 1 and 2 because, uh, you know, the, the shadow of Ultimate Pete kind of looms large in those two miniseries. And after reading all of this, I have to admit, I, it totally holds up and I still have a really, really special affinity for Ultimate Peter Parker. You know, at the time when... Ultimate Spider-Man debuted, I had kind of lapsed from reading comics, but the launch of Ultimate Spider-Man brought me back into the fold. And I've come to the conclusion after rereading his entire story now that it's time for him to make a comeback. I think that in many ways, Ultimate Peter Parker is as interesting, if not more interesting than 616 Pete. Um, and, and I think we're just at the perfect time 
to, to do something about that, to bring him back into the fold. A teenage Peter Parker said in modern times, it resonates with people. I mean, just look at the MCU movies. These were all, you know, high school set Peter Parker stories, and they've been tremendously successful. Um, so there is room for a teenage Peter Parker series. And at the same time, I think this would also allow us to stop maybe, maybe um, Peter panning Peter Parker in the 616 let the man grow up a little bit instead of always being a man-child, because then you have basically two versions of Peter. You have the, the grown-up version in 616 that gets to move forward, and then you have the, the teenager uh, in, in an ultimate version. So basically, uh, my proposal is very simple. You know, progress Peter Parker in the 616 and bring back ultimate Peter Parker so fans can have their cake and eat it too. You know, the Ultimate Universe also killed off a huge number of characters. Thanks, Jeff Loeb. Um, that does create a possibility for a very different take on the Marvel Universe. One that's more than just a slight update or imitation of the main continuity, but something that can tread, you know, really new ground and do bold things besides, you know, just randomly killing a bunch of people. Thanks, Jeff Loeb. Um so just to recap here, because I, this is all fresh in my mind, having just reread it, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man was a retelling and reimagining of Spider-Man's origin and his teenage years. It was set in a separate Ultimate universe, which of course had many other series, including the Ultimates, their version of the Avengers, and so on and so forth. Uh, Peter died at the end of his own series, uh, and this incident then launched into uh, the creation of Miles Morales as his successor. Now, during Miles' series, it was revealed that Ultimate Peter Parker came back to life thanks to the spider bite that made him Spidey. He rode off into the sunset at the end of that storyline with MJ to basically find himself and to figure out what his return means. And he gave Miles his blessing to be the Spider-Man of the Ultimate Universe. Flash forward, we have multiversal shenanigans, and Miles is folded into the regular 616 Marvel Universe. And for uh, all we knew as readers, the Ultimate Universe had been destroyed. Now, at the end of the miniseries Spider-Man 2, it is revealed in sort of a six to eight page sort of epilogue that the Ultimate Universe actually still exists and that Peter has returned to the role of Spidey. And this is where we're at. So just bring him back already. We only need one monthly series. Call it, um, well, we had Ultimate Spider-Man and we had Ultimate Comic Spider-Man. So why don't we call this Ultimate Universe Spider-Man? It can serve as the return of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe, Teenager, um, and an exploration of the Ultimate Universe's new status quo through his eyes, which uh, I think would be really interesting. We can have various, you know, Ultimate characters that people were fans of that kind of come in and out as guest stars so he can, you know, touch base with them. And finally, we have one of the absolute best takes on Spider-Man back in a monthly series. And as I mentioned earlier, we can maybe progress Peter Parker into 616 forward a little bit and stop trying to perpetually have him as this 20-something man-child. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, <clears throat> wholeheartedly agree with this. And, and it's, really, <clears throat> it's really a frustrating thing that Marvel is so non-committal with any kind of development it's it's crazy because you know one of the one of the the popular jokes to make at DC is that they reboot you know things regularly or or whatever but you know Marvel in a lot of ways does the same thing without formally doing it so we just keep doing this whole snake eating its own tail and and 
<clears throat> there is no character that experiences that more than Peter Parker, you know, as undoubtedly their most popular character mainstream wise. Um, they, they just want to keep him in this kind of development bubble and he can only progress so far. And then they hit the reset button and he's broke again and he's working at the bugle again. And it's, it's just extremely frustrating. And, and I don't know if this is some big meta thing where they introduce other possibilities to kind of give that that free young 20 something without repercussions so like like they introduce Ben Riley again they introduce Miles to kind of inject this life into the character all the while Peter really doesn't himself develop a whole lot or like he just gets like reset and it's just extremely frustrating ultimate <clears throat> ultimate spider-man um is is one of if not the favorite comic reading experience that I've ever had. It relates so much. And I think it's probably for me, the reason that I don't really go back to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and the Raimi verse uh, or the Raimi films as, as much as other people do, because it's not what I want out of a Spider-Man, you know, adaptation. I think, a lot of um, particularly Spider-Man one and two, Spider-Man three, the less said about it, the better uh, one and two are straight pulled out of, uh, if not Lee Ditko, definitely the, the Lee Ramita. I mean, um, Spider-Man two is a direct lift of amazing Spider-Man 50 and the Spider-Man no more arc. And so it's kind of, it feels encapsulated in that time of the 1970s and it doesn't feel relatable to me. And that's why I relate so much more to Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker or, or Tom Holland's Peter Parker, because it's not stuck in the 1970s, a period that, you know, was nearly 20 years before I was even born. So that doesn't apply to me. Um, and, and so <clears throat> ultimate, ultimate just lands so much more. And, you know, it, it should not be, um, we should not be re relying on like ultimate universes like um, renew your vows or uh, dark ages to see, you know, Peter Parker progress, you know, as a person to get married and have children or do anything that is remotely forward moving. And so I, I would be all for it. Um, there have been some hints that the ultimate universe is still alive and kicking also in miles book, which Again, I've nerd commended it before two or three times. Read it again. Saladin Ahmed is killing it on that title. Also killed it on his issue of Amazing Spider-Man. So, um, but so so maybe there's some uh, maybe there's some carrot to this stick. I certainly hope so. And a lot of what you talked about about character progression is going to come into play in in my next hot take, um, which may not be <clears throat> so much hot as perhaps lukewarm. Um, but 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 we shall see. In the meantime, Chris, you have a very, very interesting hot take. What is your first hot take? Uh, digital comics should be cheaper, and they are the preferred method. I, I went through this phase recently where um, I started buying floppies. I started going to the comic shop and buying physical comics. <clears throat> and then I, you know, after a couple of months going every week, uh, I noticed that my bank account was exceedingly depleted. And then I had this large moving box 
full of comics that I had already read. And now what do I do with them? And, you know, it's one thing if you have like a special collector's item, if you have an amazing Spider-Man 300 or <clears throat> if you have an ultimate Fallout 4. But what do you do with <clears throat> like an X-Force number seven or just random issues like and you don't have a complete run like if i had like x the 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 2019 x-men run if i had issues one three five seven and nine like what do you do with that like so maybe you can post them on ebay or something but like now they're just taking up space in my room and i don't have anything to do with them so it was a very short-lived quarter life crisis i guess to go and buy physical comics so <clears throat> I'm a bit of a Johnny come lately when it comes to reading comics. My, my first actual comic reading experience that was extensive, you know, came in my early twenties uh, when I purchased Marvel unlimited for the first time. And I just binged so much. <clears throat> so I just went back right to what was comfortable for me. And it is so much easier for me to read digitally. I mean, if you have your phone or tablet and you have Marvel Unlimited or DC Universe Infinite uh, or Comixology Unlimited, you literally have endless possibilities and limitless options in your reading history versus if I spend $4 on one comic, that's it. And now, you know, Marvel has been kind of slick with this thing where if you buy a physical comic you get a digital code of the same comic, which is nice. And you can send to a friend as a little gift or something, but I want it the other way around. Like I prefer digital and just having access to that many things. Uh, it, that's just a preferred method to me. Just, just have, <clears throat> you know, tens of thousands of comics at my disposal in an iPhone or in a tablet or an iPad or whatever, like, how is this even comparable? And then, you know, the fact that it should be cheaper, why am I paying $3.99 for a digital comic when $3.99 is the same for a physical comic and the digital code? You're not using paper. It just seems like there's a paper shortage. So like this is all coming together. Like, I don't know, just digital is preferred for me. And, you know, there was a time in my life where you know, I, I didn't have as many responsibilities and the old adage of all oh, the smell of a new book and holding that in my hand. That time has passed me by it. You know, sometimes it's nice. I, I, I do love the smell of books. It's it's a beautiful thing. But, you know, I'm going to go with the more efficient, you know, or the more efficient option. And I think it should be a good deal cheaper. If not, I'll just wait three months for it to go on unlimited. You know, this I will wholeheartedly echo as well with, with a couple of um, with a couple of caveats. So, so first of all, is digital the way to go? I totally agree with that. It is the way to go. My my massive um, space in the basement filled with you know twenty four twenty five hundred comic book long uh, comic books in long boxes will definitely attest to that fact. I, I ain't got no space. Is is the problem here? I don't know where to put these things anymore. 
which is why I'm reading more and more digital. Um, it is definitely a space saver in a lot of ways. It, it kind of eliminates this notion that you have to um, figure out what to do with them afterwards. You're just going to storm away. I'm not a collector, man. I'm a reader, okay? I'm not thinking that I'm going to have a comic book in my basement somewhere that's going to pay for my son's college at some point. <laughs> th- 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 those things are incredibly rare. Um and, and, you know, usually require, you know, comic books significantly older than my own lifetime and my habit of collecting. So, yeah, you know, re- if you're going to read comic books and you want to read them in any kind of amount, digital is the way to go. And digital subscription services are really the way to go. Um, because, you know, buying them digitally in single issues <clears throat> is incredibly expensive unless you get like a really good sale. Now, <clears throat> I don't necessarily know if if having individual issues is necessarily... Uh, cheaper is necessarily the way to go. I think it would be very interesting uh, if they're going to keep the prices the same to make a very public sort of announcement and make it very, very clear that the money that is saved on um, you know paper and printing and distribution and all that, um, well, some of that money will have to go into like server space and maintenance if you're going to have you know some kind of standing online system. But it would be very, very cool for the big two to basically say, "Hey, listen, we're you know on digital comics, we're saving all this you know cash. So what we're going to do is we're going to funnel that money directly into the pockets of our creators." Yep, uh, nailed it. So, Took the words from my mouth. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and like you know have like a bonus system maybe where for ever ever so many digital sales they get a bonus or you know some kind of percentage rate off of the sale of digital comics to you know rep- represent that. So you know the creatives obviously are the heavy lifters. They very very often by corporate entities get treated very poorly and. Yeah, if they make a pitch to me, I mean, I'm already on board for digital, but if they make a pitch to comic book fans and say, listen, you're a huge fan of this creator. If you go ahead and you buy this sucker digital rather than in print, they're going to make more money off of that. I think a lot of comic book fans will totally be about that. And I think then keeping the price the same is going to be a lot more um a lot more palatable. You know, this this discussion actually reminds me of discussions that have been ha- uh, had in the video game industry too. Like, why are digital uh, video games not cheaper than physical? Because you're cutting out manufacture and distribution. But I think if you're looking at the video game industry, you see that manufacture and distribution is, is significantly cheaper because disc-based media is really, really, really cheap. Um, it does not cost these companies a whole lot to actually make these in the grand scheme of how much money they actually invest in the making of the game and so once you shift to digital in that space then really you know with the huge file to- uh, file sizes and everything um in gaming that money goes directly into like you know servers server maintenance server space i mean all that stuff you know ha- has to be paid for too digital is not a zero some game there is cost associated with that as well but comic books are are such a smaller file situation so yeah now that i'm kind of working through this whole thing in my mind i would say the two best ways to go if you want to make a splash with readers is a um make the digital comic cheaper or b say that you're passing on your windfall directly to creators and i think that either one of those would earn a lot of goodwill among readers now i will freely admit that it probably will not um, earn a lot of goodwill among uh, comic book shop owners who uh probably wouldn't like either one of those notions but um yeah man i'm just a digital guy too as the space issue alone chris is just absolutely ridiculous 
Yeah, and I'll file an addendum to that. I do the same thing with Xbox. I have I have two Xboxes and one, you know, that the the kids use is that has a disk drive, but the one that I use personally has no disk drive and, you know, it's just such so much more optimal and even with their one with the disk drive, we use, you know, aside from Game Pass, we use digital games because I mean, with kids, it's an absolute nightmare to have physical video games. I mean, like they suddenly become Olympic level discus throwers when it comes to this. <laughs> so uh yeah, that is much, much more. I will say that I I don't know about DC, but I've seen Marvel will have like whole like trades digitally that are significantly reduced and comiXology does as well um so that is that is really cool but um you know i don't really buy a lot of those because they're already on unlimited but if you're looking just for a particular run and you don't have the subscription service already a lot of the times they do have trades significantly reduced they'll run specials like if you know um you know, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movie's out now, so they probably have a lot of Spider-Man trades, you know, on sale digitally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm really excited. We've hinted around a lot at your second hot take. So as you said, um, a lot of agreement here, so I don't know how hot these takes are, but nevertheless, it's for good discussion. Okay, I will say this. Having a podcast with you, Chris, is always a pleasure, particularly in the editing phase, because I never know how many bleeps I'm going to need. To, to censor some of your spicier language. It's very, very rare that I kind of slide into the spicy language uh, realm, but I am standing by with my own bleep today because the only way to express this hot take um, is through a, a very, very strong language. Um, so, so here's my t- hot take for the day. Continuity. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm just. I'm tired of it, man. I'm tired of the constant. But this, you know, violates this issue from 1967. Like this. This is the kind of crap that makes nerds seem so absolutely ridiculous. And we are so much better than this constant continuity whining that we do. The constant resetting of American superhero comics is getting so old. Characters almost never get to grow or change in any permanent or lasting way. In other words, characters are stagnating. There's no forward momentum. Every time a creative team comes along that tries something new and different that could have lasting consequences on a character could grow them and move them forward and open up new story possibilities. At the end of their run, they have to put all the toys back into the same toy box for the next creative team to basically be at the zero point of the the same status quo that we have for these characters over and over again for decades on end. And I hate the constant reboots uh, at DC as much as the next guy. But I do believe rather than running a never-ending continuity cluster bleep that that we have going on at, at Marvel, the big two should just let their universes run their course once, you know? Let the characters grow up, move on, develop, change, and and hey, you know, maybe even die at some point. A case in point, we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast but it has to be said again die aunt may die how often, <laughs> how often has that woman been at death's door since her first appearance she even died and got better usually only superheroes do that but here this elderly frail woman dies it's like oh no that wasn't actually aunt may it was a genetically modified actress who gets a genetically modified actress it's ridiculous at what point does she stop adding actual value to the storylines. I think we're there. 
I think as far as comic book history goes in the 616 Peter Parker's world, there's really no more places to go for Aunt May. She's just holding Peter back at this point. She's a constant reminder that he is a man-child who needs his aunt to take care of him. So two things should happen. May should pass away, and Peter should develop as a character into a caregiver himself. This is kind of in his DNA. He had great caregivers in, in May and Ben, and then he should develop into a caregiver himself. This is why I love the whole Peter as a teacher during JMS run so much. This is why I like you know, Renew Your Vows and him as a father so much. Those things require Pete to grow up, though, and so we don't get those takes on the character very often in any kind of lasting way. So let's let our characters grow and develop people and stop being so interested in, you know, an an issue that comes out in 2021, not going against some piece of continuity from 1964 or something. I mean, half of the reason that we end up in horrible situations with decent storytellers, like the most recent run on Amazing Spider-Man, is because we, we, we become navel gazers when it comes to continuity, and this piece of continuity needs to be fixed, and this wrong from 1983 needs to be righted. And instead of that, just, just get some good stories. You know, that's one of the things that I love so much about uh, Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. It is quintessential Superman storytelling. It's perfect in every possible way, but it is not tied to any particular continuity. It doesn't need to be. Chris, your take. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I mean, I think part of the reason I'm, I was going to say this earlier, but I saved it for now is like, I think that's another reason that um, another feather in the cap of ultimate Spider-Man, like there were real, all right, we're going spicy. There were real stakes like people died and didn't come back you know in that run so well that's that's why i kind of cut it off when when peter dies you know and then just miles book like that was a one kind of nitpick of like why why did he come back but you know and that's that's why I was so thankful for, and I know you've had your your issues with, you know, jumping on, maybe not the best jumping on point, but, you know, with Hickman taking over the X-Men, um, you know, I'm, I'm sad to see him go, but maybe he set up something sustainable for the future is if we have to go back to that school one more time, like how many times do we have to destroy the Xavier mansion and come right back and, oh, there goes Juggernaut, you know, again. Like, it's, it's just so frustrating. Like, we have graduated. We have our diploma from that school. I am 33 years old. I am not going back to school. Can we please do something else? The fact that you say that on the eve of both of us going back to school is absolutely hilarious to me, Chris. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, like, it, take, it took a complete paradigm shift. They had to create their own country. And to have like, and and I also say, well, you know, I say that at the same time with a team up book like the X-Men, it is much easier to get character progression and not all the toys and back in the box as other books like a solo book like Spider-Man, because that would really be a Herculean task, you know, to take all these characters and get all their little ducks in a row versus one character. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. And it's it's just... It's just frustrating. I think to me the you know, and this ignores the, the 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 problem of like the larger shared universe and how that leads to additional issues. Um, but 
Uh, I think continuity is fine within a given creative team's run. Obviously, you know, having long form storytelling and having, you know, issue 54 not violating issue 24 makes perfect sense. But, you know, once a creative team is gone, I don't I don't see the need to continue the 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 same quote unquote continuity. Just let people tell stories without being so concerned, uh, uh, you know, about you know whether Catwoman's costume has a tail this month or not, for example. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. just I I just don't give a crap. Just give me good stories, man. That's all I care about. All right, Chris, your second hot take for our app. What you got? All right, this is gonna piss off our Instagram community, I fear, but um. I'm sorry. Collectors are ruining it for the rest of us. And I mean that in, in, in many facets of it, you know, on the rare occasion that I do want a physical issue, um, collectors like pros, pros, prospectors, like they're gold miners or something like, you know, when, um, it was revealed that, uh, Electra would be taking on the, the mantle of daredevil. I think that was issue 25 of the run. I'm not, I'm not reading it currently. So I, I don't know, but I remember like you went to the comic book shop and they opened at 11 and they were already sold out of, you know, all those issues. And it just like, and now like I go holiday shopping for my kids and the action figure and toy aisle is completely empty because collectors have wiped all of that out and then they're flipping it around and selling it on eBay of like, you know, like one of the, one of the biggest eye roll things for me is like re-releasing and it's fun nostalgia you know how i feel about nostalgia but like re-releasing these classic action figures only for them to be snatched up so if there's like a classic action figure or a series from my childhood that i want to pass on to my children and you know play action figures with them i can't because some 48 year old uh neckbeard has already snatched it up and there's nothing for me to buy for my kids for the holidays. So it's incredibly frustrating and collectors need to get over themselves. I'm sorry. That might be the hottest one today. I don't know about that now. I'm not finished yet, but, <laughs> but I, I will agree that the collector's market is extremely, um, extremely toxic, especially to the comic book community. I mean, it was the collector's market that uh, in a lot of ways, basically crashed the market back in the day because it was just not sustainable to 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 keep you know all this variant cover crap going gold foil tin foil whatever it's just tin foil tin foil is actually quite apropos for them yeah i'm I'm just over the whole foil thing like I, i'm over many things when it comes to the collector's market and really um you know, I'm I'm over people anyways who go to a store specifically to buy something just so I can sell it on eBay for twice the price. Like the whole thing with the Switch when it first came out and how it was almost impossible to find it because, of, you know, scalpers, the whole problem. We're still that, waiting on that. We're still waiting on that with the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. You're not kidding, man. It's absolutely ridiculous. And all because somebody walks in a store and buys all five of them that are there and then flips them for t- double the price on, on, on eBay. Like as far as I'm concerned, I'm never, ever, ever going to pay a a dime over retail for a video game console like you will not get me with this crap i can wait i have many a console and many a game that i've not played yet so and they're still making new games for the 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 xbox one so i'm good yeah yeah all good here so yeah i can i totally totally agree with what you're saying i think there's a real problem with with the effect um that collectors have 
on on comic books in particular um and ultimately uh it again you know, takes away from like the story right because suddenly it becomes more about this character is going to be on the cover like this and you need to get this because it might be worth something or this character is going to be in the MCU so you better get this issue it's just th- that crap has absolutely no bearing on storytelling and art and and those are the things that I come to the table for when it comes to comic books is I want good storytelling I want good art those are the things that keep me going and all the other stuff is just noise chris yeah I, I, it's just frustrating. And, and they look at you like you're crazy when you say that you're a reader first. Yeah, absolutely. Like you actually read this stuff. No, I just, I just have it, you know, in, and they, they, as soon as they buy it, they send it off to CGC or whatever. Like it's, it's crazy. Like, I feel like that one meme of the guy that's like the cat that's trapped in the convenience store or something. He's like, I'm going to get you out of there. Like, like how do you have a brand new comic book issue already encased in a slab? Like it's like imprisoned. I hate yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's frozen in carbonite, Chris. Brand new. It's one thing to have a comic from 1962 that is in a slab and it's graded. That's wonderful. But, a, but, but one that came out this week, you already have it slabbed up. What the hell? Yeah, no, I agree. All right, I'm excited to dive into this last one and see where we go. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this. Like, I have some thoughts, and I'm not saying that this is even like my last word on, on this issue. Um, I, I'm evolving, let's put it that way, but it is, this is a hard one. Um, I don't think it's as cut and dry as some people um, in in the social media sphere make it out to be. Um, so long-time listeners know that I've dabbled in writing comic books and various other media over the years. And there are two items that I keep on my writing desk, a sort of a reminder of, of, of who I want to be as a writer. I have a TARDIS and I have an IDIC, an IDIC. <clears throat> now, for those of you that don't know, the TARDIS is the uh, spaceship in Doctor Who. Uh, it looks like a blue police box. That show, to me, is one of the more bonkers things that I've ever consumed and, you know, like once you ride dinosaurs on a spaceship, everything is just kind of on the table. You know, anything goes at that point. And, and so I have my TARDIS there to remind me to be as inventive as possible anytime I write. And the other thing that I have is, you know, the IDIC, the IDIC from Star Trek, uh, which stands for Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combinations. And in the Star Trek universe, it's the, the basis of Vulcan philosophy. And, and so that's sort of my philosophy of, of storytelling. You know, I, I try to be as inventive as possible and I try to think of as, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations in my storytelling as possible. I have noticed a recent uh, trend in well, the last few years, particularly in comics with the big two, um, that people of a certain background or ethnic group should write the characters that share that ethnic group or background. Um, one of the... One, great examples that comes to mind and was a really, really good run. Thank you for putting me onto it. It is, of course, a Ta-Nehisi Coates on Black Panther. Um, in acting, we've, we're seeing a similar trend, you know, with efforts to include people of certain backgrounds or with certain disabilities and roles that reflect those as well. Uh, Alakwa Cox, who was born deaf, for example, played Echo on um, Hawkeye. And of course, Echo is a deaf character. Now, I, I really applaud this trend, you know, um, I'm a firm believer in representation and inclusiveness. Those things um, are super important to me. Um, This kind of trend uh, provides, you know, 
creative opportunities for members of groups that are often overlooked. Um, it lends authenticity to the creative works. It's just good policy overall. In the realm of writing in particular, as somebody who's dabbled, let's say dabbled, um, there, there is there is a flip side to that that worries me. Um, the more vocal corners of social media uh, seem to increasingly imply that a story featuring any character that has um, a defining trait, whether that be ethnicity or disability or anything like that, cannot be effectively written by somebody who is not a member of that group. And and that troubles me um, because of my general feeling about writing and what it represents. I think there is certainly value in Brian Bendis' co-creation of and writing of Miles Morales, for example. Um, and I don't think that the difference in ethnicity there is an insurmountable problem. I don't think Stephanie Williams, including a trans character in Nubia and the Amazons, is somehow invalid because Steph herself is not a trans woman. Writing to me is an act of ultimate empathy. As a writer, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the characters you write to understand them and to try to represent them properly. And when done well and with the correct amount of effort, any writer can write any kind of character. They have to do their homework and they have to strive for authenticity. So to me, um, it's incredibly uh, limiting to try to put writers, artists, anybody creative in these little tiny boxes and, and basically say you can only write about characters that are exactly like you. As somebody who adores the science fiction genre, for example, you push this you know, to its logical conclusion. How will anybody ever write about you know, uh, astronauts in space except for the handful of astronauts that we have shot into space? Um, there has to be room for invention, and there has to be room for a creative to be creative in infinite combinations. Now... Again, I totally support inclusivity. I totally, rep, uh, you know, support representation. I still think Far Sector about an African American character that was basically an entire creative staff of African Americans is the best book that I have written the last ten years. Those kinds of things matter, but I also don't want to sit here and impose these these limits as a as sort of a blanket. You cannot write this, you know. Tanahasi Coates can write a Clark Kent Superman. Why in the world not? A, a Stephanie Williams can write a trans character. Why in the world not? As long as the homework is done, as long as they are fully aware of how they're representing these characters and put in the necessary work to do it right, any writer should be able to write any character. Chris, hit me. <clears throat> That's some heavy. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the club, yeah, my friend. Right, and and this is I, I our third hot takes are are very much in line, so I may bleed over a little bit, but I think you intro. I think you included a really important caveat into this is as long as you do your homework. Oh, and absolutely. I have, 
uh, and I have found um, in my very diverse upbringing and background and friendships and relationships, in order to be uh, the best possible ally, um, whether that will be towards um, African-Americans, um, whether that be towards members of the LGBTQ community, whether that be to the Latinx community, the Asian community, what have you, I have found <clears throat> in my experience the best possible way to be an ally is to close my mouth and open my ears. It is far better to listen than to speak. And I have learned that I don't have to have an opinion on everything, in, in, including in some places, it is not my place to speak, but to listen and to learn. And I think that's a really, really important aspect. Um, specifically, my experience being a part of the um, X of Words community, our sibling podcast, um, which is <clears throat> almost exclusively a Black and LGBTQ uh, community and or, um, you know, I am the only cisgendered, heterosexual, white male of that group. <clears throat> the rest of our, our family is either Black or queer or a combination of the two. And it has been an absolute privilege just being a part of that group, being in that room, so to speak, whether that is a group chat, whether that is, you know, uh, a Google Meet, a Zoom meeting, or, uh, you know, a podcast episode, just learning and just, and I, I think that has taken my empathy that was already present, you know, from my moral compass and just being a type two personality and wanting to help and uplift others. And that has helped emphasize that and extrapolate that to the nth degree, just because I've learned so much and I thought I was doing well. And now I've grown so much like what it means to have a non-binary friend, a person whose preferred pronouns are they, them. Um, just like, so when, when my child came to me and said, you know, that they were trans, like, what do I do with that? And without my dear, dear friends, I would, I don't think that I would have been able to handle that as well as I did. Even with the open mind and open heart that I have, I can learn specifics. And I, so I think that's a really important caveat that you've included is to listen and to learn. And, you know, Star Trek, one, one reason that I lean Star Trek over Star Wars is because of that mantra that was present way back in the 1960s and has only progressed even further to where, you know, in Star Trek Discovery, we have a nine binary character, you know, and we have my space dads, as, as everybody likes to call them, of, of Stamets and Colbert. Like, I love Colmet so much. Like, they're my dads. And one of the reasons that their relationship means so much to me is I'm, I'm not a homosexual man. I but I relate to their relationship so much because truths like that are universal. And I think, Oh, absolutely. You know, when you listen and when you learn, I think it is a, an essential part uh, of empathy and learning. And, and in this case, writing. Yeah. See, I totally agree with that, which is why I was so, it was so important to me to include that. I think, um, there, there is space for creatives to be creative, but it has to be 
it has to come from a place of knowledge and it has to come from a place of, of respect. And do we see um, the opposite of that in the comic book industry today? <laughs> yeah, uh, more more often than, you know, I, I, I care to really even admit at this point, it's it, it can get extremely ugly, both from a writing and from an art perspective. Uh, you and I were particularly, before we hit record, talking about uh, the representation of African American characters and how you know that, that that colorist seems to just keep brightening those skin tones and it's 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 just absolutely it's just wrong is what it is and I, it it comes from a it comes from a bad place when when they do that kind of thing um, it, it, and again it's just a matter of of, of listening and learning and you know I, I feel just inspired of all the things you just said Chris and I, now. I feel like just like shaking your hand right now or something because, yeah. you, you know, you, you come from, you know, a, a very diverse situation, you know, not necessarily personally, but with your family and everything. And, you know, I I think I have grown just by knowing you. Um, But that's exactly the point that writers need to come from. It is writing is, as I said earlier, it's the ultimate act of empathy. You have to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. And in order to do that, you have to know them. Um, and, and too many writers don't do that job. They don't put in the work to know the kind of people that their characters are based on. All right, Chris, your last hot take is very closely related to my last hot take. So I think we're just going to jump right in there. What you got? Yeah, so... I think that both of the big two and, you know, any other developers, I, I primarily am a consumer of the big two in comics. So um, this just first came to mind, but there have to be, and I, and I haven't come, I, I've had this idea for a while. I just haven't been able to come with a great name for it, but there should be two mandatory culture councils, I guess where that is made up of a, a diverse background of individuals of marginalized groups of people, whether that is black people, whether that is LGBTQ peoples or specifically trans individuals, uh, Jewish people, and they should have the final sign off past editorial because we know that it gets past editorial that should have never get past editorial. So they should have the final say and whether they're official employees of the company i think it'd be even more optimal if they were a third party um but i think specifically of things like immortal hulk 43 and the disgusting piece of that joke that it is it really tempers how much i enjoyed immortal hulk just knowing that um you have the the very anti-semitic you know imagery in that issue particular in 43 um, which revealed itself and they summarily fired him, uh, deservedly so. You have the issue that you referenced uh, when we were talking before camera of the lightening of black characters' skin. Do you have people, uh, you know, in in the mutant fandom and the X-Men that legitimately don't know the background of a character because their skin has been lightened so much on a regular, consistent basis? Monet St. Croix, you know, uh, the chief among them, one of my favorite characters, is a black woman and has been portrayed as, at best, a white woman with a, a slight tan. Uh, so it is, if it, I, my, my theory is that if you were to have 
um, two councils that have final approval past editorial that a lot of these issues could be alleviated. And if that means that a cover artist has to go back and start from scratch, I'm sorry, but we can't let this stuff to continue. And if anybody says that I'm just a woke SJW, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, ha having feelings and having, yeah, I, that, enter that one in there. I heard your pen click. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, <laughs> my having empathy and having sympathy and wanting human beings to feel seen and to feel appreciated and to feel heard is not a sign of weakness. Okay. And if you think that's the case, then go over there with your 12 followers and your username of a first name and 18 random digits. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it just it's really just hurts uh, seeing things like that. I think there was a particular one of Damian Wayne with some horribly anti-Asian racist tropes that were published. Uh, I saw in the timeline a while ago and it, it, something has to be done. We can't continue in this constant loop of idiocy. Um, and, and, you know, to your point, it shouldn't take um, people from that background, right. Exclusively writing and drawing those characters. Like somebody has to like shake these people. And I think that they you know this is our background, but the straight white males have too much power and too much unchecked authority when it comes to this and they need to be put in check. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I really like the idea of, you know, kind of making comic book writers and artists kind of, you know, consult with people of, of these diverse backgrounds. I, I think that's actually a, a really solid idea. Um, and I think that should be naturally a, a part of the creative process. Like, I could not imagine writing a character you know, being who I am today, I cannot imagine, for example, trying to write um, an African-American character without sitting down with somebody with that background and say, hey, listen, I wrote the story. Can you give the sucker a look over and make sure that I'm not, you know, being horrible with my writing? Like, I, right. I, it, that's, that to me seems to be such a completely natural part of the creative process. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else that you would do. You know, it's it's basic standard thing. You're not going to start writing about, you know, space exploration in hard sci-fi without sitting down with a physics professor and being, hey, you know, how about this, you know? Would this kind of technology work? Like, this is basic, you know, minimum effort stuff to create the best possible work you can. And it blows my mind that so many people in the industry don't even want to do the bare minimum like this is this is not a complicated issue to me chris like it's just it, it's like any other bit of research you have to do before you ever sit down and start writing you just need to make sure your ducks are in a row our our middle school students have to peer review each other's papers <laughs> come on no yeah. and and one of my favorite writers and creators from from back in the day is jerry conway who like has admitted time and again the way that i wrote black characters is embarrassing for me to revisit and i've grown so much as a writer and i'm so much better at it now like it's it's growth and like that's part of the process yeah absolutely i, I totally agree with that and i i you know i really like this notion i really like that there should be since you know very much 
creators keep failing at this, that there should be some kind of process at the big two where, where they sit down and they're like, okay, you have, you know, X characters in here that are of X background. Let's go ahead and, you know, make sure you've done your homework, make sure all the ducks are in a row before we push this out. And, you know, I mean, this is like, this is the kind of stuff that completely embarrasses a company. Like, you know, um, when we were talking about uh, the Hulk issue, what is it, 42, 43? Like, 43. That that was like headline domination right there. Like, that was a huge if you're, thing. If in you're the headlining news cycle. CNN, yeah, that's not the headlines you want to make. That's exactly right. So it seems and it undermines, almost. It under, and it undermines the masterful work from Al Ewing that he has this jabroni of an artist that's a piece of crap, you know? Well, and the thing is, too, like, this is basic self preservation. Uh, for 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 a corporation like this, like I I don't know why they wouldn't be motivated to put this some something like this in place. I now, I I don't think Chris that this is a hot take at all. Yeah, if these artists and these writers are not willing to do the bare minimum of the kind of homework they need to do to create a good product on every single front, then there needs to be a part of the editorial process somewhere that ensures that the kind of stuff that happened like with with the Mortal Hulk does not happen in the stuff that they sent to the printer. That's just basic good policy, Chris. Yeah, and I, I you know whether it is an abject hate filled thing like joe bennett or if it's something as unintended i at least i think as some of the goofy horrible spanish that shows up in the jaime reyes blue beetle that oh. i read for homework as much oh. as as much as i love that series and it spoke to my heart like that is some google translate nonsense that hurts my heart so what whether it's it's ill-intentioned or whether it is unintentional like if we had somebody catching this like we wouldn't have that Totally agreed. All right. So maybe those takes weren't as hot as we thought they were, but we do have some fire nerd commendations after this, our final break. All right, Dave, we are back for our final segment. You know it as our... Now, Dave, yours is something that I have been trying to get on my phone for quite some time. I can't quite seem to conquer it. Oh, my God, man. It was so simple on my end. I don't know what happened, but I can tell you this is absolutely incredible. I have a real difficult time sitting down and playing a video game in front of the TV these days, which is why for the last few months I've been predominantly playing on my Switch. My son is very attached to his parents. I spent most of my time at home with my son when I'm not at work, and even when he's asleep, he likes to wake up, raise up his head, and make and see that either myself or my wife are present in the room, and then he'll go back to sleep. And if we're not there, he becomes <laughs> very, very upset. He he wants us there guarding him, I guess. Um so this has left me in a position of never being able to take advantage of my Xbox One X or my Game Pass subscription. But that's all about to change because I have figured out how to go mobile with my Xbox. No, I'm not wheeling a TV from room to room. Uh, Xbox has this really, really cool setup called Remote Play, and it is fantastic. Essentially, I install an app on my phone or tablet that allows me to play my Xbox games remotely while both devices are on the same network. So the game technically still plays on my Xbox, but the remote play function streams the image using my internet connection to my mobile device. The power of Xbox in the palm of my hand. 
So I set it up a couple of days ago, and so far it's working like a charm. I can use my Xbox controller and a pair of headphones, and now even while my son is sleeping, I can do some gaming. Um, I've really missed the benefits of my Xbox, Chris, and, and really of Game Pass. I've not turned on my Xbox in almost a year, and I had to install so many updates. There are still 30 games that haven't been updated yet on my Xbox. But, you know, I've also added several games to the queue that have been added to Game Pass that I uh, didn't know had been added. And there's some really exciting stuff that I've missed out on over the last year. And so the idea that I can like prop up my iPad and whip out my Xbox controller and, you know, maybe tr- check out the uh, the new Halo Infinite campaign or play, you know, an RPG or something that I've missed in the past is super exciting to me. So, you know, kudos once again. I know I'm a fanboy when it comes to Microsoft and Xbox. Their, their work is just fantastic. There's so many cool things that they're doing that are so gamer friendly and remote play is definitely one of those things. I am in love with this function, Chris. Oh man, I've been, so I finished Fallout 4, which I nerd commended uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Fallout 76, it's so basically it's like a Red Dead Redemption online, but if you're a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, you get a free month of Fallout first, which is ridiculously priced at $16.99, but it does give you like this private world where you don't have to worry about other people. And I will say that Fallout 76 it is not as intrusive of an online gameplay as it has been on other ones. Now, the constant live, not being able to pause is frustrating, but I'm enjoying it probably the most of any constantly online gameplay. So Fallout 76, this is a bonus nerd commendation, but I need to figure out how to get this remote play. I don't think I have my Xbox attached to my phone. Maybe that's why. Well, so the way it had to be set up here, I can give you a crash course. I did some... Um, reading on uh, Xbox support site. So you have to turn on your Xbox, you have to go into the settings, and you have to turn on the remote play function. Ah. And the Xbox has to be set to instant on, um, which basically means that it's kind of when you turn it off, it's just in a standby mode, so it turns right. on fast. And then uh, you install the Xbox app, you make sure you signed into the app with the same account. Obviously, both have to be on the same network. It only works within, you know, your four walls, so to speak. And then when you when you open up the app, you have the option to turn on your Xbox. And then um, you click on the streaming function and it just starts showing the picture on your mobile device in addition to on your TV screen. And then I just turn off my TV and I walk away. Nice. Okay, so that makes so much more sense. I was just trying to... <clears throat> I went straight to my phone. So maybe that's why. Yeah, that might be that that function is just not on on your end uh, on your Xbox. All right, Chris, what is your nerd commendation for today? All right, I finally done it. I have finished it. I've been teasing it for months. I have completed my Al Ewing Marvel run with the exception of a couple of titles that didn't really interest me, I guess. Maybe I'll go back and visit them, but I have completed the Al Ewing Marvel run and I am... I can easily say that Al Ewing is the writer right now. He's the best in the game, bar none, no comparison. Sorry, Hickman. He has been surpassed by Al Ewing. So I previously nerd-commended Mighty Avengers. Uh, So that's where I started. I skipped the Loki series. I'm not a huge Loki person. Maybe I'll go back and visit that because I've heard good things about it. Um, 
New Avengers and the Ultimates. I love Ultimates. If you're like a big brain sci-fi Star Trek kind of person and you want some underrated, underappreciated characters, the best of the best, you've got Monica Rambo. You've got Blue Marvel, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago as being the most underappreciated and underrated character in all of Marvel Comics. America Chavez, get ready for her appearance in uh, Multiverse of Madness. Your girl Carol Danvers is on there and my boy T'Challa is there. So Ultimates, Ultimates 2, um, and then we go into like new Avengers and us Avengers, which Roberto da Costa is just flexing on everybody there. So just super cool stuff. He goes in, he does some inhumans work, um, that I did not read, but, uh, new Avengers and us Avengers, Roberto da Costa is one of the billionaires that I can actually vibe with. He basically buys aim one of the you know the quintessential adversaries of the marvel universe and turns them into avengers idea mechanics um and then just uses all of the resources of aim and the scientific stuff for good and so like that's fascinating and a big flex one of my favorite characters in all of comics roberto da costa sunspot get on his level and then um as i said infinite or um Ultimates too, excuse me. And then the masterpiece that is Immortal Hulk, um, which is just ineffable. It's wonderful, except for Joe Bennett. He's a piece of trash. Um, which, crazy enough, like the first couple of issues take place where I grew up in South Dakota and Minnesota. So that was trippy. He, they're at the Sioux Falls airport. That's weird. Um, a really cool just little run that you can jump into in um, Avengers that it was co-written with Mark Wade and Jim Zub. So I know you're a big Mark Wade guy. Um, this is the, um, the No Road Home um, series that is really, really fun. And then, as I said, Immortal Hulk kind of goes in the, in the same way. Uh, and then I'm, I got a hot take. Here's another hot take. I think I enjoyed his Guardians of the Galaxy run more than Immortal Hulk. It's just big and expansive. It's fun. It's, it, I think it's an improvement on the Guardians. Of the, like, I think it's, it's better, especially Star-Lord is much better in this version, this iteration of the character. Just like a super quirky, weird space journey. Um, and then follows up with which, one of the best events of the year, uh, the final annihilation, um, where... Uh, the dread Dormammu takes over and possesses Ego, the living planet. And so that's super kooky and crazy, like all the cosmic stuff you could hope for. And then, of course, Sword, which was a really one of the best Marvel or uh, the, one of the best X books. Um, I did not read Gamma Flight. I may go check back on that one. It kind of ties in with Immortal Hulk. Um, and then I've read two of the issues of the defenders and i think the third issue came out recently i have to check that one out but the art there on javier rodriguez um is just mind-blowingly good stuff um you might remember that nerd commendation. i think it was my first or second ever nerd commendation of history of the marvel universe so some of that beautifully kind of kaleidoscopic art um but just like the universe building that al does i mean you can find a great reading list on comic book herald which is a previous nerd commendation um for for a complete read through again some of these titles i did not jump into i haven't read his venom yet that he's writing with rom b but everything that i have read by al ewing is 
masterclass and I love what they're doing and I can't wait to read more Al Ewing in the future. Now I will freely admit I have the only one of these uh, books that I've read is uh, Immortal Hulk and it is it was such a mind blower to me like it was just so so very good uh, I'm definitely going to be tackling more Al Ewing in the near future I'm very interested interested in the ultimate stuff just because I'm such, such a huge um, Carol Danvers fan and I think um, you know, there's some lesser known characters or at least characters on that team that I've not encountered often before. So I think that's probably where I'm headed next after um, I wrap up my Chip Zdarsky Daredevil catch up run that I'm working on right now. Oh man, there's so many, so many good comics to, I, I still have to dive into that one. Uh, so now that like I've, I've, I've finished up with this, I've, I've caught up on the, the new, um, Black Panther stuff that John Ridley has started. That's super cool. There's sleeper agents from Wakanda. Like it's this kind of Bond-esque spy thriller kind of vibe. These first two issues has been super cool. Like there's so much good stuff out there right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd By Word. We hope you had a great holidays um, and we are looking forward to a great 2022. Hey guys, Spotify now has uh, ratings available. So whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us that five-star review or rating. We're also available on the TuneIn Radio app, Amazon Music, or nerdbyword.com. And if you like what you heard today or you didn't like some of those hot takes, find us on social media and let us know. We are available on Twitter and Instagram at nerd by word and individually at that nerd chris and at that nerd dave we look forward to interacting with you and hearing maybe some of your hot takes and as always stay well and stay nerdy the nerd by word is written and produced by chris and dave two nerds with a love of all things pop culture the podcast features music by al Jimenez, with additional drops composed by joe biondi our show art is by ashery design Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.